Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here, as always. It's a bit of a strange week because there's no Arsenal this weekend. The two-week break, the winter lull, if you want to call it that, is in full effect. Arsenal's players are given some time off, and right now they're at a training camp in Dubai. The hard work has begun. They were given a couple of days off. Training began on Thursday. They come back to the UK on Monday or Tuesday and then get ready for Newcastle next weekend. So it is a bit of a strange week, a strange week for podcasting, and uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what the impact of this um, this training camp will be. There's clearly a measure of team building and togetherness and trying to galvanize the squad ahead of the last part of the season. But also, it gives Mikel Arteta a chance to work on some things with the players on the training ground. This isn't about fitness now at this point. This is about formations and tactics and systems and in-game stuff, I'm sure. So he's going to be working with the players fairly intensively outside of this schedule, the hectic schedule that we've had since he took over, which is basically play a game, recover from the game, prepare for the next game, play a game, recover from the game, prepare for the next game, etc., etc., etc. So there's more scope for, um, I don't know if experimentation is the right thing, but maybe over the course of the, the six weeks that Mikel Arteta has been in charge, he has identified some things that he would like to put in place um, some tactical tweaks here and there and this is the, the perfect way to do it we won't see the proof of that of course until we start playing games again but that won't be too far away even if it isn't this weekend uh, busy show for you today though 
a little bit later on, Tim Stillman will be chatting exclusively to the Arsenal women midfielder Jordan Nobbs. Uh, they talk about uh, her recovery from a cruciate ligament injury, of course, uh, in recent times. It's something that has been quite prevalent at Arsenal over the last uh, year or so. Hector Bellerin, Rob Holding, and now, of course, Callum Chambers has gone down with a, an injury. But she also talks uh, about the upcoming North London derby against Spurs women. And you can hear that a little bit later on in the show. Also, I will give you the winners in a little while of our competition, uh, which we ran last week with thanks to soccerclub.com, where sock is the word sock. Uh, and you've got, yeah, Arsenal socks to give away. I can say bruised banana socks now, I think, because that was the answer to the question. Not too many people got that one wrong, I have to say. Uh, the winners of the competition will be coming up in a little while. But now, as always, I'm delighted to welcome back to the Arscast, Philippe Auclair. Hi, Philippe. Good morning to you. Good morning. We haven't spoken on the podcast, at least since Mikel Arteta took over. So I'm just curious, after this hectic schedule that we played, you know, 10 games uh, from December 26th until this this winter lull has kicked in, what, what are your uh, impressions of what he's done, how he's done it, and what he might do from here? You know, that, that, that opening month, six weeks of his, his time as Arsenal manager. I think he's stabilized the patient. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think we were close to being taken to A&E and, uh, and you could carry on with this kind of tired yeah. metaphor for a long time, but he's stabilized the patient. He's addressed, I think, what were the most uh, pressing problems with the team, i.e. Uh, the, the frailty of the defense, even if there have been moments when you still thought, my goodness, um, how can we survive uh, this season with this kind of organization at the back? But slowly it's getting there. Um, I would say, as per usual, it's far too early to say, but if it had been a disaster, we'd know by now. <laughs> and it hasn't been a disaster. Uh, the atmosphere is markedly, has markedly improved. Uh, I've been to every home game since he's arrived. Mm. And the difference is, is staggering. And it's not just in the stadium. It's the way people... Uh, the people on their way to the stadium, the way they talk about uh, the team, the way they talk about the players, even the way people talk about the problems that we might have has changed. There is not this um, uh, depressive state that there was around uh, the club and within the fandom um, for, for, for some time. So it's, it's, it's very positive. I mean, I set my sights, I think, and my ambitions quite low. Um, because in fairness, I was really genuinely worried at one point um, that it might get much, much worse. Mm. And uh, when I mean much, much worse, I mean to go back to one of those <clears throat> horrible seasons, you know, before George Graham arrived when honestly you thought, oh, God. What's yeah. going to happen to this club? Yeah, he hasn't had a great deal. I mean, the results, people will say, okay, results aren't that much better. But but uh, I think we have mm. to take into account as well that, you know, you're right. I think the organization and the structure of the team is is much better. We're more solid. We're more compact. Uh, you know, there, there are still plenty of things for him to work on. But, but also, I think, uh, you know, we have to take into account that he is a new manager. He is learning himself on the job. And he's been dealt a couple of difficult hands along the way. You think about 
about Aubameyang getting a red card at, at yeah. Crystal Palace, uh, David Luiz getting sent off against Chelsea and and still managing to get something out of that game, losing Callum Chambers to a cruciate injury. Um, you know, there have been some fairly substantial things for him to have to deal with above and beyond the the sickly patient that he came in to take over. Yes, indeed. And the fact as well that the club doesn't have the resources to, to back him uh, to the hilt in, in the transfer market, which I'm sure we'll have a, yes. a word about in a second. Um, but I mean, it's it's funny you should mention that uh, David Wee's sending off. Well, not funny, but I was at that game. I was at Stamford Bridge and it was an absolutely terrific performance in many ways. And I know um, Arsenal were battered, <laughs> uh, considered an awful lot of chances and so forth. But the remarkable character that they showed on that night and especially the the reaction of the away fans and and the relationship between the team and the away fans was really something quite uh, quite moving actually because i hadn't experienced it for quite a while and uh, it showed well you know it's it's only what i mean we're talking quite eight um, eight games nine games perhaps something yeah. like that um out of which far too many are, are draws obviously um, but it's it's been overall to use a Wengerian expression overall it's been it's been positive and it's been actually I think very positive. Okay, so uh, you talked about uh, backing the manager to the hilt in the in the January transfer window and the resources not being ava- available to do that. Mm. However, we did get two players in, two lone players, uh, Cedric Suarez from Southampton. Uh, hopefully his knee is improving rapidly. And uh, Pablo Marie from, from Flamengo, a, a central defender, a left-footed central defender, something that Arteta spoke about um, as, as a way for him to, to deal with, uh, you know, the tactical elements that he wants to implement in the game and the way that we play and the way we pass the ball, et cetera, et cetera. How, how do you view those two deals in the context of um, this January window? Is it a case that that was as good as Arsenal can do with the resources available in, in, in this particular month? Um, do you think that they will provide depth and security to the squad? Um, your gut feeling on the, on the signings? Um, first of all, um, I want to say that I shouldn't say too much about Pablo Mori because I've, I lost track of him um, I was following him a little bit when he was when he came to Manchester City, and I was wondering who is that player. I mean, uh, is he one for the future for them? And then I lost track of him a bit, and and only saw um, honestly snippets of of games uh, in, in Brazil. So I I won't play the expert on this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I will entirely rely on on what friends who know far better about Brazilian football uh, have told me. I some people like Tim Vickery have been saying. Uh, who do rate him, uh, but what exactly is going to be his role in, in, in the next few months, I have absolutely no idea. So I, I'll be absolutely frank about that. I, I can't pass judgment on that. I, I, I think the left-footed element is very interesting. Also makes me think, does that mean that we might also go for a three at the back again um, mm. in the near future? That's not impossible and perhaps not something we should be... Uh, against, you know, considering the squad that Arteta has got his disposal at the moment, it might not be such a bad idea, actually, provided some of them get fit again. Um, Cedric Soares is uh, is an interesting one because he's actually a player that I do rate um, and uh, whom I think has been underwhelming 
um, during his time at Southampton for, for reasons that I do not necessarily understand fully. He certainly hasn't been as convincing as I thought he would be. And certainly the people who'd followed the early part of his career would uh, would say. But, of course, the interesting thing is that he's, he's coming at a position where we thought we had two decent players who were competing for a place in the starting 11, i.e. Hector and, uh, and Ainsley Maitland-Nice. And uh, is it a way to bring Maitland-Nice into midfield in his favoured position? And so we do have cover at right back. Or is it that... Uh, Arteta thinks that um, he could even cover at left back if needed be. I, I'm, I'm not too sure about that because I'm not too sure that Soares has played an awful lot of left back. So it, it, I was a little bit puzzled. Uh, but also one thing it confirmed to me, perhaps more importantly, is that even in a situation where we're hovering uh, around the 10th place in the table, and when we are not so far, still, despite everything, despite all these draws, we're not so far from let's say six or seven place it's not totally out of the question that we fighting and having a decent series of results we could back there but that would have meant making perhaps a bigger effort than the club has has done and then you think well maybe it's just something we've got to get accustomed to um and the fact that the club certainly is not pulling his weight financially at his as it used to um you know if you look at the deloitte money league Mm. Uh, we were there in view of the top five for a while. Then we came down, then in, in then we went down to ninth place in 2017-18. Uh, then we are now out of the top ten, behind Juve, behind Chelsea, and horror of horrors behind Tottenham. And um, and even that is not taking into account the fact that Borussia Dortmund are just behind us. And that Borussia Dortmund, uh, the amount of money they made from transfer sales is not taken into account when, when this is done. So to all intents and purposes, we are actually the 12th richest club in the world, which is fantastic in many ways, which also shows that our st- standing has changed in this particular um, context. Yeah. And that this particular context is all important and more or less determines where you finish in the league in every single major um, European championship. So... I think it's a reality check, and but that transfer market was another one, uh, is that obviously there is very little money available. Where do you stand on the idea um, that from a competitive standpoint, Arsenal might be, uh, might benefit, for example, from not having European football next season? So if there's a concerted effort to... To get the team back into the top four, let's say there's let's say there's some investment in the summer, that without the distraction of the Europa League, Arsenal might be better placed to have a good tilt at the top four next season, right? But but the reality, of course, is that we wouldn't have European football income, which is as you've pointed out and demonstrated with our our place in the Deloitte Money League, a very important part of of uh, how football clubs are run these days. So um, 
as meager as the Europa League is in comparison <laughs> to the Champions League, and it is, it's, it's a, you know, a much smaller percentage oh, of, of income. It, you know, it really is. But it's still kind of necessary that, you know, this idea that we could step, take a step back from a sporting point of view, you know, it makes some sense on one level. But from a financial point of view and from trying to compete in the transfer market for players anyway, you're, mm. you're hamstringing yourself even further. Yeah, um, but the fact is the Europa League, um, last season, um, it was very much an ambition of, of Emery to go as far as possible in this competition. He had won it several times, as we all know, three times. He knew it inside out. He thought he had a team which could go all the way to uh, the final and to the title, and he was not very far from the truth. But even with this remarkable um, trip to, to, to Baku, um, which, by the way, had some of the more pleasing moments for, for the fans, which is something we should think about as well. The fact that uh, we were lifted by this European campaign. And even this season, I would say, if I'm you know, uh, thinking the high points of this season, I would think, for example, the uh, Pepe 2 free kicks in the Europa League were certainly a high point for me. I mean, mm. I, I really enjoyed myself with that. Yeah. And, and, and some of the games were really great fun. And this is how we, we found out that Martinelli was the player we hoped he could be. And you carry on like that. Uh, but in terms of money, uh, it brought something like 20 million euros to the club last season, mm. which is basically nothing. I mean, it's not nothing, but it's very, very little. So we're talking 17 million pounds here, one seven, uh, for going to the final, you know? Mm. Um, so, and you also got to put it to, uh, to, to, to think of the fact we would have to start the season in July. Um, Potentially. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. If we finish seventh, for example. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Uh, that's, sorry, that was, I was, uh, thinking of finishing seventh, you've got to start in, in, in July, just like Wolves have done with some success, it must be said. So, yes, there is an argument saying we shouldn't worry too much about that. What we should worry about is putting in place um, as good a team as, as we can, uh, give Arteta the time to, to experiment, to try things that might not work immediately. Just relax. Uh, we're not going to be relegated. We're not going to win the title. We are not going to be in the top four. Unfortunately, now it looks out of the question. So we might as well not take it easy, but focus on different ambition. But it takes an awful lot of um, uh, reprogramming of our minds to think like that. Yes. I mean, when is the last time we didn't have any European football with Arsenal? Was it 94, 95 or even 95, 96? This one season, perhaps, the last um, the last season of, of George Graham's uh, uh, because immediately afterwards we we are in the UEFA Cup. Yeah, because uh, it was wasn't it uh, the Bergkamp goal um, yeah. on the final day of the season, which got us into the, yeah. the UEFA Cup that season. Correct. Yes, yeah. and the game against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I mean, the first game of, of next season. Yeah. So uh, it's been an eternity, and it would feel very very strange for us. Um, it might force the club to have a look at its season ticket policy again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh yeah, so, yeah. I mean, and do, do, do you think that's, do you think, I mean, obviously you can't speak for, for everyone, nor can I, but do you think that's something we, we can rationalize as a, as a fan base that, okay, this is a, this is a, a sort of a rock bottom moment. We have to step back. We have to reassess. We have to take stock and go again. 
and a season out of European football from a, a, a pure footballing point of view in order to build, in order to get ready for uh, what we hope is a, a, a new generation or a new era in which we can reestablish ourselves in European mm. football, that, that, that is something we can cope with. Yes, um, on a purely theoretical, hypothetical basis. Because at the moment, sure. we're, not, we're not talking that. I think the moment we are faced with that, it would feel very, very strange indeed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, and it's not impossible it, that we, I mean, it's not impossible. It's unlikely, but, you know, it's not impossible for Arsenal to end up in the Champions League next season. Well, like it, it could happen. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we, we're still in the Europa League and we, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it can happen. But um, <laughs> it's going to be tough, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, it's a much, it's a much tougher Europa League uh, this season round yeah. uh, because of the teams which have come from the Champions League. Um, I've been, I've been put back in in the second tier competition. Um, it's a tough one, tough call. But uh, it is possible. But I, honestly, I would find it quite difficult myself to, to adapt myself to the idea, even if it's only the Europa League. Uh, the, the, these European nights are a very important part of you know, our past as, as fans and a shared past that goes on decades now. And so it really is, and you would, as well, there's always this feeling, well, if it's the first time it happens, uh, could it be like the first time we went into the Europa League rather than Champions League? And we haven't been back to the Champions League since yeah. then. You know, it's, and it's, yeah. there's this fear at the back of your mind that, well, w when you're going down, the only way is down a little bit more, yeah. uh, which is why I'm so concerned about uh, the problems that the club has got in terms of the financial problems, that is, in terms of revenue and particularly, and I, I know that would sound terrible, in terms of commercial revenue, we're just not punching our weight correctly. It is. It's a kind of vicious circle, isn't it? Because, yes. you know, when you're in the Europa League, it's very hard to sell your blue chip packages to corporate clients and the, the club level seats and all those kind of things which were designed to bring in the revenue from the high rollers mm -hmm. and, and what have you. Nobody wants you know, to see Carabag against or Arsenal against Carabag, for example. You know, they don't care about that when they can go to another London stadium and see uh, another London team playing one of Europe's big boys. So it is, a, it is yeah. a vicious circle. I mean, do you do you have concerns? Uh, I want to talk to you about a couple of players, but but just before we move off this, how do you feel about the performance of the club uh, and the way it's? the way it's been run since the departure of Arsene Wenger, because it was always inevitable that there was going to be uh, some flux, right? When, when a manager of that stature and power leaves, it takes a little while, let's say, to find the right manager. We, we went through yeah. Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta might or might not be the right man. Um, it, it might take us another go to find that guy. Is the same not true at executive level? that it might take us a little while or, or to go through a number of um, executive setups before we find the right one? Uh, it's a tricky one. Um, the, I mean, quite a few people have left Arsenal Football Club in the not-too-distant past and I've talked to a few of those and uh, they were not necessarily very optimistic as to uh, the corporate side of things and the way things were going and um, there, there have been mistakes made. I, I don't think, to be honest, that the uh, immediate aftermath of, of Wenger's departure was so bad. 
as as bad as that. I mean, in fact, it's only later on that things started to unravel within Emery. But we were we have to remember we were quite happy with things were going for quite a while mm. when you arrived. And you know, we we do have short memories, but we should remember that. Um, it's very. Um, I mean, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm just asking myself, what kind of model do they have in mind? And that's, that's, that's my problem, is that I'm trying to think of a strategy, um, be it a commercial strategy or a, or, a or a sporting strategy, a football strategy, that the club has in mind and which is clearly um, acted upon. And I, I don't have this feeling at the moment. I get the feeling that we're living off our past a bit, uh, to say the least. Um, you know, the, the, the stadium, the, the Wenger years, the, the Graham years, the, the, just the, the, the stature of yeah. Arsenal Football Club in the world. It is a great club. It's one of the world's great clubs and it will remain so. But I, I, I cannot really see where it's going. I'm, I, I, I don't know how to say that. It is not... Is it a commercial vehicle? Uh, is it a club that uh, its owners want to turn into a winning club again? Well, I'm not sure about that because they're not showing many signs of wanting to put... I mean, they've, they've, they've put some money into it, but not a huge amount. And also they're limited. And also, what about our model when it comes to our wage structure? That doesn't seem to be right. Again, it seems to be a wage structure that is great for a club that is uh, a Champions League regular and so forth. It, we, we, it, in my view, we're still living in the past. Uh, I, as it, yeah. It's a kind of a, a suspended animation from the, the, the last years of the Wenger reign. We, we, don't ha we haven't really moved on from there. Yeah, I mean, do, do you not think that some of that, for example, the wage bill, is that not just sort of, um, if you like, a hangover from that, that there are issues at the club, I think, if they were going to deal with yeah. going forward, you know, we're not going to pay anybody £350,000 a week again, for example, but that's just mm -hmm. a reality that we have to deal with and that's a decision that was made that, that hangs over us. Um, that, that's what exactly what I meant. Yeah. When I meant suspended animation, perhaps it's hangover, but it's a bloody long hangover, that's for sure. And an uh, expensive one as well. Very. Um, you know, when we talk about the, the strategy, um, a key component of that is recruitment and how you recruit players, the kind of players that you recruit, etc., etc. Do you see anything coherent in that um, that gives you cause for optimism? For example, you know, we can talk about uh, Nicolas Pepe, uh, which we will do now in a, in a moment, but you know, mm -hmm. a club record transfer that got everybody excited, and and yeah. you know, that's that's something that every fan loves is when their club goes out and spends a load of money. Um, at the same time, there was something slightly different with with William Saliba, in that we we identified a talent that we were prepared to wait for and pay a considerable amount for as well. But it, it spoke perhaps to this idea that we need to refresh and to go in a more youthful direction and perhaps, you know, um, find players in a different way that we have in the past. So are you seeing things that are just sort of beginning to, to link up or would you, would you have worries about how, uh, you know, players are being brought in and, and the profile of certain players? I don't have too many problems with some of the players who've been recruited. I mean, we'll come to Pepe in a second. And by the way, people have been harping about Pepe being a record signing, 72 million. 
and so forth. The way the deal is structured uh, changes the story somewhat. And that's one thing we've got to remember. It's it's not as simple as people think. Uh, and I know all uh, transfers are, are staggered. The payments are staggered. But the the way this one is financed is, is a little bit more complicated than that. Um, so, yes, we spent a lot of money on that. But uh, it was not your usual kind of transfer, I would say. I won't say more than that about it. Okay. Um, okay. But there is nothing illegal. Don't worry about it. Uh, <clears throat> but it's just the way structure is a little bit, uh, I mean, it's quite difficult to explain and, and it's different. Okay. When it comes to William Saliba, I'm really happy uh, with that. Uh, and I'm sure that he is counting the hours until he can leave Saint-Étienne and have to play for this awful team. Um is a, is a class player. We know that. Uh, we got him at a decent price, I think, for, for the quality of the player. Uh, the fact that also, I mean, there are things like, I, I do think, honestly, that there, there have been some very good investments. I, I, you know, I'm touching wood because I do hope that physically he's not going to, to be one of those players who is constantly injured. Kieran Tierney, I, I, I rate very highly. And if, if he gets fit again and he will show us that he was an absolute bargain at the kind of price we got him. Gabriel Martinelli was a great find. Mm. He's actually one of those players we should now sign to a 17-year-long contract. 350,000 pounds a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, not maybe not, but um, uh, certainly to tie him down to yeah. a long-term contract and, and so on. Um, so there, and Lucas Torreira was, for me, an, an, a wonderful addition to, to the squad. So there have been some really decent acquisitions. Uh they might not have been exactly in the area where we were, um, uh, where we should have reinforced the team, or, and 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 there are still some positions we 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 all know that we are very slight, if not non-existent at times. Uh, as soon as there's one injury, one suspension, we, we are in trouble. We know we lack creativity. We know that we cannot ask Mesut Özil to be the sole creator, game in, game out. It's, he's not this kind of player anyway. Not in this kind of um, footballing environment anyway. Uh, so, but all in all, it hasn't been catastrophic. Um, so, yeah, I, and, and that's that, that's the thing is that I, I keep maybe I'm a bit too nuanced at times, but I was always a little bit. Uh, I, I tried not to be too optimistic when things were going well. I, I'm trying to be not too down at the moment that things are not going so well in, in, in some ways. The one thing that I'm I'm really worried about is the financial aspect and the, the the way the club is generating money and income. And when I see this income actually drop, when I see other clubs going in front of us, mm. when I see that we are so reliant as well on uh, in fa- as far as our income, we're the, of all the great clubs. In the world, we are the one who is the most, which is the most reliant on people going through the turnstiles and spending money at the Emirates. That is actually a source of concern for me. Mm. And oh. um, I, I'm not saying it's bad. I think that morally, ethically, it's great, actually, because it genuinely is our money, it's the fans' money. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I'm just saying that in the current environment, where commercial uh, financial power is the one factor that uh, makes the very big clubs take a substantial advantage over those who follow them, Mm. it it is a handicap. It is a handicap. 
Yeah, look, I, on the one hand, I have some sympathy for the commercial department in trying to do deals and, and what have you in, in the current environment with the current um, state of play at Arsenal and the sort of decline that we've been on over the last number of years. On the other hand, it does strike me that perhaps with better people in that department, we might be uh, a little less behind um, the, the curve than, than we should be. But look, possibly. We'll see. Uh, let's talk uh, players. And you did mention Nicolas Pepe. And, mm. um, he, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, look, <laughs> I, I, I... Did you need to say more? That's, maybe that's uh, it. You just said so much yeah, already. I know, I know. Look, uh, I think there are... <laughs> I, I can do this, Philippe. I can do it. Yeah, the, no, the, sure. There are mitigating factors, I think, to a, a player's performance uh, when he comes to a new country and, you know, the circumstances, the environment in which he came to Arsenal uh, and found himself in a very dysfunctional team. And uh, at the same time, he's got to adapt to a new country, a new language, a new style of football, um, a team which perhaps isn't set up in the way uh, which suits him or certainly which allowed him to thrive at, at Lille the way that, that he did. But we are seven months into his uh, time in England now he has five goals he's got four assists you know it's not brilliant it's not terrible it's not quite as good as people were hoping or expecting um he didn't get on against Burnley uh, in our last game Uh, Mikel Arteta left him on the bench or left him on the sideline warming up it's it's a it's a little bit of a worry Are, are any alarm bells ringing for you or is it is it a case that he is the kind of player that is going to have to work a bit harder to provide Mikel Arteta with what he wants from a guy in that position? Mm, yes, probably. Um, I think the problem is that he's such an atypical player, almost eccentric player. How would you <laughs> categorize him? What would you say he is exactly? He's a one-off, isn't he? Um, He has absolutely marvellous close control, even though sometimes his first touch will send the ball four yards away, (laughs) which is very frustrating. Um, He is... He looks to me like an uncoached player, which is not true because he's been coached and very well coached throughout his whole career at Angers, at Lille. Uh, but he has retained this quality uh, of this uncoachability, but which for me can be also a great asset. But as people in Lille found when they got him from Angers, um, I mean, his first season, I mean, he was very young, sure, at the time, but um, his first season, um, they didn't know what to do with him. They, they had no idea. They, they knew they'd had a very special talent. But it's only when they realize it's so special that we've got to make sure we play in a way that suits him that he started to really click. And that mm. was in his second season. And then his third season when we had this wonderful Lille team with Christophe Galtier, which was built around him and a couple of other players but who had uh, qualities which were complementary of his own. At the moment, I'm afraid that uh, it, the problem for me is not just him. Um, even though we can we can talk more about him, but the fact that it doesn't strike me that our dream trio, attacking trio, which we all had fantasies about, is is actually tailored in a way that it can work together properly, um, not to the detriment of one or the other or or two of, mm. of this trio. Obama Young being the one who will always, uh, you know, come out trumps because 
he's a goal scorer and he's our only goal scorer. So um, at, the, at the moment, but Pepe, I think, is such a talent. And we've seen that actually in, in a number of games when he, where he might not have scored or provided an assist, but we, we looked at him and we thought, he's the one who is making things happen. He's the one that the others are absolutely terrified with. Ask Luke Shaw if he's not having nightmares about Nicola Pepe. Yeah. He bloody is. Um, he's the one who saved us against Valencia and suddenly he realized, oh my goodness, this guy, he really has a very good left foot, doesn't he? So I think, I, I, I know it's difficult, but if it took him something like 18 months to find his place in Lille, maybe we can forgive him for taking six months to, to find his place in, in a new league at a higher level, mm. uh, certainly in terms of the competition, and in a context which is perhaps not the best suited to his capacities, be it a tactical con- uh, context or the players that he's currently playing with, he, he can be infuriating at times. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I sit by the touchline uh, at the Emirates, so I have got um, by the you know halfway line, yeah. and and it's uh, I, I have first I've got to sit bang on Nicola Pepe, and when he does the good things and when he does the bad things too, and and, and you go you take head in your hands and you think it's not possible but on the other hand there is so much talent there and he's only what uh, he's only he's still 24 yes Um, and his his experience of the high level of uh, high level is very new because you know when he was at Angers which is 2015-16 it was in National which is the equivalent of League 2 and 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 he he didn't play very much at Lille to start with he was started loads of games um, in, in on the bench and it's only from 2017 onwards, that he started to to start games on a regular basis at Lille. So I know it's. Uh, I'm not asking for patience for the sake of it. I'm just saying actually we've got a, a player who is uh, potentially absolutely huge for the club. He does have uh, that 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 ability, doesn't he? You think about those two free kicks, uh, and you think about the 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 impact when he burst into life at West Ham, for example. Yeah, he, he scored and his, that dead, goal. his dead ball delivery is fantastic. It I really mean, is. Uh, his corner kicks, my goodness, some of them are near unplayable. Yeah, and it was a tactic that we used to to fairly good effect. Actually, if you think about the, the goal against Manchester United, it was a, a corner kick whipped into the near post, and it was a a Lacazette header, and Socrates finished it off. I mean, they are vicious. The corner kicks, um, yeah. and I think it's something we we we've lacked um, on a fairly regular basis. That consistency of of really difficult delivery from uh, you know from our corner kicks and free kicks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, look, I, I I see the talent and I see the potential. I just. I just worry a little about the, the the exclusion from the team the other day, and the fact yes. that it's it's you know it's not just. It was easy to say when nobody was particularly um, happy with what Unai Emery was doing, that that decision was because Emery didn't know what he was doing. And and we sort of had it with Freddie as well, who said similar things about training and Arteta. You know, that three coaches have had this this sort of reluctance to use him does just worry me a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's true. And um, And also the impact this is going to have on his own morale and his own performances when he's picked, mm. which he will be at times. So, yeah. yes, um, I wouldn't say it's a crisis situation, It's but there, there is it's concerning, I should say, mm. despite all of his talent. Sure. Okay, well, let, let's move to uh, Alexandre Lacazette and uh, a player who uh, is struggling 
really struggling, I think, at the moment. He's struggling for form. He's not scoring. Um, the, the, the elements of his game, which people talk up in the absence of goals, like his hold-up play and his link-up play, I don't think are, are quite at the level that, that they have been. Uh, we've seen Alexander Lacazette play a lot better for Arsenal. And last season, of course, it, it's fair to say he, he was our player of the season, mm. voted for by, by the fans. Um, how do you... How do you look at what's going on with him now, uh, given the fact that he's 28 years of age, he's a very experienced player? You know, if you're Mikel Arteta, do you look at this and say, okay, he's having a, a very difficult time right now, but his experience, the fact that he's been around the block, you know, gives you some hope or optimism that he will turn the corner and start to to fire again? Or is it a case that you say... We can't really continue to carry this guy while he's in this kind of form. We need to sit him down. We need to give somebody else a you know a, a run up front. The obvious one, of course, is is Aubameyang. It's a difficult. I thought you were going to say Martinelli. Well, Martinelli for me is the most natural goal scorer we have at the club at the moment, and I include Aubameyang in that. And I, I know it's a big really? statement, but that's my feeling of it. I mean, I'm just I'm talking like a like almost like a scout here. Okay, and and uh, he is. I don't know that this boy could be absolutely huge, and I, I'm 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 really I have I have to check myself because it's something that I thought the first time I saw him. I thought, my goodness, what on earth is this? <laughs> uh, in terms of no, 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 I'm I'm serious. No, no, I, I know, I know, you're I, serious. I absolutely I'm... love him. I love the fact that he he has he combines so many qualities i mean obama young has got i mean is is a super a goal scorer and i'm probably exaggerating i'm probably talking about the potential here sure uh, i i think he's a more complete striker than obama young is he doesn't have the speed even though he's quick mm. uh, he doesn't have quite the speed he perhaps doesn't have quite the experience and the nows and the know-how that obama young has had uh, has and and, and also this capacity that Obama Young seems to have when he misses a chance doesn't matter at all to him. Carries on. Yeah. And which is why he scores game after game after game after game. But in terms of, of, of the talent and, you know, left foot, right foot, header, what a header of the ball. Yes. And I could brilliant. carry on like this for a long time. Plus capacity, he can dribble as well. He can cross, he can assist. I, I, I just love him to bits. And um, so, which is why I was thinking... I wouldn't be surprised at all if by the end of the season he'd actually ousted, like I said, from the starting eleven okay, on but a regular would, basis. Would that be? But, but I would love to see him as a centre forward, which is the other problem because it's not where he's playing at the moment. Okay, but well, I mean, let's let's look let's at go the back reality. To like I said. Well, Sorry. yeah, no, but I mean, I think we can look at the reality of the 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 Aubameyang situation and say he's got twelve months left on his contract come the summer, and Arsenal, you know, if we talk about finances, can't afford to write off what Aubameyang might bring in. Particularly no. when you think, uh, you know, a club like Barcelona uh, are, are are reportedly very interested in Aubameyang. And if there's one club out there that will overpay the shit out of a transfer fee, <laughs> it, it's, it's Especially Barcelona. at the moment. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they pay... This is exactly the right moment yeah, to you sell know. them players. So, you know, is, is the reality of this situation with Lacazette, if we're looking at it strategically... A, we move Aubameyang back into the centre uh, center forward position, which is where you know we know that that is his best position. His quality means he can score goals from the left hand side. But you know, if you if you look back and you you plan for next season, 
is the idea then play Aubameyang as your central striker. You give Martinelli the playing time and the development time on the left-hand side where he has shown as well that he can still contribute with goals. Mm-hmm. And come the summer, depending on how it goes, you could then be thinking about moving Martinelli into that central position. Yeah, you could you could do that, and which is, of course, very harsh on, on Alex Lacazette because that's one thing that hasn't changed throughout all his time at Arsenal. His, his, his work rate is absolutely superb. And I think that's one of the reasons, by the way, why he's enjoyed or he's been selected on a number of occasions when his form in front of goal might not have justified it is because Arteta knows that he can count on him at all times to press and press and do an awful lot of work. He's also, I, I come back to that, the fact that it is a strange combination of attacking uh, qualities. The way Lacazette does his runs has got absolutely nothing to do with the way Obama Young does his runs. And Pepe doesn't do runs. Pepe receives the ball and goes to players. Or he does, or he doesn't, what we call appel in, in French, which, which basically literally is to call for the ball. Mm. And this is how we call this particular runs. Now, Lacazette is very good at, at doing those very short runs within the penalty, within the box. And you need some people who are aware of it and alert to this to feed the ball to him instantly. And then he's deadly. Now, he had that at Lyon with Nabil Fekir, for example, or Corentin Tolisso. So he doesn't quite have it at Arsenal. And I always thought that this was a side of Lacazette's game which was not exploited fully. The fact that he, he does all these little... He's not super quick, you know, but he, he's very quick in his mind and he, and he has this wonderful eight, ten-yard runs. And we know that he's one who can shoot from the hip, as it were, with very little backlift, yeah. uh, in strange positions, with knowing when the goal is, is, you know, is obscured or whatever. He does all these things. We haven't taken really used that as well as we could. And he's... But this said as well, coming back to it, like I said, like I said, was never a huge goal scorer. And, and I think we forget that. That even when he was at Lyon, you know, and people were thinking, oh, he's, you know, he scored uh, something like uh, 28 goals in a season. And I remember saying, repeating people at the time, say, well, you, you keep saying that. I can tell you he's not a 25-goal-a-season goal scorer. Of these 28 goals, 11 were penalty kicks. 11. And he, he was... He always was somebody who scored a goal every two games, not more than that. And in fact, before I, we talk, before we, we started talking, I actually decided to do a little bit, some calculations, and to look at his efficiency in front of goal with Arsenal uh, throughout the you know his three seasons here. Mm. And in fact, you will find out that uh, he doesn't take penalty kicks anymore. He only did it in his first season here. And if you take the penalties out of the equation, it's one goal every 184 minutes in his first season. Okay. One goal every 192 minutes, so the same thing, in his second season. One goal every 256 minutes in this current season, which shows a, sh- a decline. Mm. But it is not the kind of decline that, that, that our eyes are telling us is happening. It looks far worse than that, doesn't it? It does, yeah. But it's still, but it's still this kind of return, a goal every what, three games? Well, in terms of playing time as well, that's not good. No, that that that, that is concerning. But he's never been 
as prolific a goal scorer as people have thought. That's that's the thing that uh, in his perception, he's also somebody who makes lots happens. He's good. At, he's as, he, he assists loads of, loads of goals. I mean, last season he assisted ten goals in the Premier League, which is you know absolutely remarkable. Mm. Um, so he's a very complete centre forward whom perhaps is not necessarily the right setup for him to show all of his qualities. But it is something that you could say of so many other players in this Arsenal side that you have to wonder about the way that the side was built, perhaps with no exact idea of what it should play like, Mm. what an ideal Arsenal side would look like. Whereas I know what an certainly what an ideal I know what an ideal Tottenham side looked under Pochettino under the current one I don't really care to be absolutely honest. Sure. <laughs> uh, I know what an ideal uh, Antonio Conte or or Sarri side looked like, um, and even if I go down, I know what an ideal Sean Dyche side looks like or an ideal Roy Hodgson side looked like. Yeah. You know you came out. I do not think we still know exactly what this team has been assembled for, what kind of game, play, playing style we should approach. There have been loads of words bandied about, which for me are, are, are a little bit like, they're, they're, they're words which mean a lot and don't mean anything, uh, like, oh, pressing, uh, intense pressing. Yeah, well, everybody does it these days. Mm. Um, what kind of pressing? I mean, we saw it with Emery at the beginning. We saw it without it. Have you noticed, by the way, that we're not, we don't press the same way or as intensely as we did in the first games without it in charge at the moment? Yes, I we did back notice off. that. Yeah, we I back saw, off quite saw. a bit more. On the other hand, what he's been working on and which has been really, sat- really satisfying to see is that what he's trying to do is when we defend is not to have all 11 players within 30 yards of Leno's goal, which is what we did when we sort of compressed the lines to such an extent that there was no capacity of doing quick transitions. And we basically were walking on each other's toes all the time. And Xhaka would bump into Genduzi, who would block Torreira's run, uh, and Luis would arrive and tackle everybody. Yeah. So, uh, so this is happening far less often. So this is one side of the game that he's working on, which I find very encouraging. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. So, you know, we have just contradicted myself, but in a nice way. <laughs> I know what you mean. So, you know, final thought just on Lacazette. Is it time to, you know, to accept that there is a decline in his performances, which merits a place on the bench rather than a place in the team uh, and let him work his way back into first team contention? Uh, I think if that happened, uh, we would be looking at Lacazette leaving the club at the end of the season. Uh, and he's still got another two years left on his contract. Mm. And considering we're about to sell Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to Barcelona for a massive fee... Yeah, half a billion, I hear. Half a billion, yeah. Well, (laughs) interesting times ahead. Um, As ever, ever, a pleasure discussing them with you, Philippe. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed to Philippe. You can find him on Twitter at Philippe Auclair, at Philippe Auclair, and we will talk to him again before the end of the season, no doubt. Right, last week I asked you a question, a very simple question. I can't really remember what it was. It was something about, oh, which kind of fruit were the socks or something? And it was like uh, grizzly gooseberry or something. Anyway, the answer, as you all know, was bruised banana, the famous bruised banana shirt. And we have got famous bruised banana socks to give away. We have five pairs, with thanks to our friends from SoccerClub.com. And the winners are... Dun, 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 Dan Corrigan, Bernadette Martin, Abishkar Shrestha, I think. Well, I, you know, it's definitely him, but I just don't know if my pronunciation was right. Jerry Gould and Josh Evans. Well done to you guys. I will be in touch. I'll get your details. We'll get the socks sent out to you. For the rest of you, there is a 10% discount if you go to soccerclub.com and order something. Use the code arsblog 10 at checkout. That is arsblog 10 to get 10% off your very own Broods Banana Socks. Okay, this weekend, the Arsenal women are at home to Spurs women at Meadow Park in a North London derby. The game is sold out, but you can watch it live on BBC Online and the red button in the UK, or you can watch it on the FA Player app, which is totally free of charge. It's not geo-blocked, so you can get it anywhere in the world. Just go to the App Store, download the FA Player, create an account, and you log in, and away you go. That's it. You can watch the game and hopefully watch the Arsenal. Arsenal women do the double this season over their Tottenham counterparts. There are two more home games in February after the Spurs game. An FA Cup tie against Lewis on the 16th of February and Reading women on the 23rd of February. Tickets are still available for those games uh, through arsenal.com. Check out the official website. For more details, get down and support the Arsenal women. Ahead of this game on Sunday, Tim Stillman sat down with Arsenal midfielder Jordan Nobbs to talk about the game itself, the increased spotlight on 
women's football and with it an increase in criticism which is quite interesting and of course uh, cruciate ligament injuries something that Jordan Nobbs suffered and has made her way back from but Arsenal have had a, a clutch of those over the last uh, year or so year and a half uh, and she talks about that with Tim it's a really interesting conversation so here it is this is Tim and Jordan Nobbs Okay, joining us now on the show, Arsenal midfielder Jordan Nobbs. Jordan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, North London derby this weekend, uh, big game uh, for Arsenal, not just because it's a North London derby, but big game in the WSL, especially having lost the last two league games. Um, honestly, does this game in the WSL feel any different to the others? Does it feel like a derby yet? Or is that still developing? Because we know there's a historic rivalry on the men's side, but has that really translated over to the women's side, do you think? I think it did when we played them um, at the men's stadium. I think that atmosphere, uh, the vibe we had was unbelievable, and I think it did feel like a derby. I think, yes, there's still a way to go. I think um, I think the fans are a big part of making it a derby, and um, you know the way they are supporting us and... Um, everything like that but I still think we just go into the game after a win and, and knowing it is yes might be a little bit more aggressive at times but mm. I think ultimately it's maybe the media that pick up on uh, the big derby but uh, I think every game in this league now is so big for us um, it's kind of treating every game like a derby and uh, go for the win and uh, that was going to be another one of my questions actually looking back to the last game in November at uh, whatever Spurs are calling their stadium. I can't <laughs> quite remember what it is. Um, but like uh, I, I felt like Spurs played maybe not above themselves, but I felt like there was a real lift in their performance, particularly in the first half. Um, do you think that made a big difference on the day? It was a record crowd for the WSL as well. Yeah, you know, I think they um, played a great game. I mean, we'd obviously played them in pre-season and, uh, you know, won very easily. So... I think it did show the difference in atmosphere, you know, pressure, uh, making it feel like a derby. It was a very exciting game. I think uh, we just did an interview a minute ago and said it was one of the best moments we've had this year, playing there and playing against them. So um, I think the more we can have games like that and, and feelings in games like that, it is exciting for, you know, not just us, but the people watching. And I like the way you said them there instead of Spurs. That's, you know, that's the kind of language that's <laughs> going to create the rivalry. <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm interested as well in, you know, you weren't born an Arsenal girl necessarily, but you've been at the club for 10 years now. And I think you've made very clear that you have, you know, very deep affection for this football club. Mm. Do you have any role at all, um, you know, this week in the build up to the game to let particularly some of the girls who've come over from other countries know about, what type of a game this is and what this means to the fans or is it just better not to talk about that and treat it like any other game? I still think you treat it like any... I think, you know, we're very, very lucky that we have very experienced players who have played in very big uh, national team games or, or club games or, you know, Champions League. So, um, you know, it's not the hardest challenge to get them up for a game but I think they know, you know, like I said, after the last time we played them, how big these games are and... Um, you know, this is a, a must-win game, not just for for the league, but yes, it is. It is Spurs, and um, we want to constantly beat these teams. And um, I think playing for for Arsenal and the love of this shirt, you know, these games are 
of what you want to play in so it is you know when we said that they were coming up into our league that was an exciting time for us because it was like it's great you know we want to keep um, being role models on the pitch but we also want people to come and be excited watching and um, I mean she can't play on Sunday but Emma Mitchell uh, obviously made the move across to Spurs on loan and uh, like personally I had a lot of debate online about this um, which I wasn't expecting because I was trying to set the context that actually in the women's game it's slightly different Mm -hmm. and actually Spurs have got a lot of ex-Arsenal players um, you know like good friends of yours like Gemma Davison Rebecca Spencer who have a history here Um, and you know I was trying to explain it's slightly different because the money's not as big it means Mitch doesn't have to move house and she gets regular game time and actually I got a fair bit of kickback um, (laughs) on that from people who are knowledgeable about the women's game was it um, strange for you guys to see her make that move um, at all or did it just feel quite normal? Uh, I guess it's a difficult one because uh, you know I've been here a long time with Mitch and um, you know she's a player that should be playing game time and I think uh, for her it was more just us thinking about her as a person and a player and um, wherever she chose to go or or play you know we we fully supported her and um, we wanted to do well there so uh, yeah we are glad that she's not playing against us at the weekend but um, we have Mitch's full back and, and I guess in a good way from the fans it's nice to see that they see that rivalry um, but yes like you say I, I think uh, in the women's game you've got to do what's right for you and um, you know you want to play as much football as you can and um, you know we touched on the last game the reverse fixture being in big stadium with the with a sellout crowd looks like Boreham Wood's going to be sold out on Sunday nevertheless and I should really put on the record the context for this which is you know, the men don't have a game this weekend, but the Premier League didn't make that clear until a few weeks ago. So um, lots of people asking the question about you guys playing at the Emirates more often and actually the logistics were a little bit difficult this time because the Premier League didn't sort the fixture list out. Nevertheless, would it have been nice to have this sort of game at the Emirates, do you think? It always would be, yeah. I think um, it's showed with other other clubs and um, even us playing against Spurs in the big stadiums, it is a, a great feeling, it's a great experience. Um, it's good for us to learn pressure like that and, and you know, we want the women's game to keep getting big crowds, bigger crowds, so um, we need to learn in some way. Um, but I think also I, I keep saying, um, you know, I've, I've been here 10 years and I've seen a lot through Arsenal and... Um, I'd never like the game to just jump into areas that might not be ready to jump yet. So um, I think if we're filling out Boreham Wood, it shows that, you know, can we start to improve that? Because maybe more people than just, uh, I don't know what the capacity is, 4,000 can come. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, we want to play in bigger stadiums then keep creating this, you know, great place for the women's game. But I think it's just doing it at the right times and... um, making sure that enough people are still coming to support support us and, and want to come watch. And um, thinking kind of more generally about the season now, you know, Arsenal in third place in the WSL, I already asked you the title race question on Sunday, so I won't yeah. ask you that again. But, you know, Conti Cup final coming up, Champions League quarterfinals, some really exciting ties against Paris Saint-Germain. How do you feel um, the season has gone so far, um, you know, just looking at the whole team and the whole squad? I mean, we've definitely not given up on the league yet. Yes, it is out of our hands, but um, we've seen it happen before. We just need to keep performing um, and and winning every game. There's a bit more pressure on us now, um, but, you know, that's football. And uh, I think the fact that we've got Champions League, we're in another cup final, 
uh, we're still a club that want to bring trophies trophies home um, and that's the reason why people come to play at this club we want to be in regular finals so it's an exciting time for us to play in that um, and I think Champions League's the big one that's the one that we're most excited for and uh, we want to we want to get to that final I mean it'll just be it's a reason why we want to sign big players here and um, you know that's the the most exciting time about being there in the women's game and um, looking ahead to the, the kind of the Conti Cup final against Chelsea um, in a few weeks time um, I asked Jill Rod this after the semi-final but um, are you guys almost glad to be playing Chelsea just because of the way the last game went where Arsenal really didn't show themselves um, in that game and quite a lot went wrong quite early and it wasn't really a game um, for most of it. Is it. Do you almost welcome the chance to take Chelsea on again, almost with something to prove? Yeah, I think especially when there's a trophy involved, um, you know, winning is, is going to be a very big day that day. So uh, I think we know that we didn't play well enough ourselves and, and also, you know, we, we did make a big uh, change in shape. Um but we want to win that trophy and I think the fact that it's against Chelsea will be a great game for the eye and uh, we have something to prove. We have to make sure that we go out there, we perform better as individuals and um, and win. And um, a, a couple of months ago, I, I said to you that I wouldn't ask you about your knee anymore, but I'm going to break that promise, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, just to get kind of, a, I think it'd be really useful to get your perspective just because... In the men's team at the moment, you've got Hector Bellerin and Rob Holding, who kind of did their cruciate ligaments at a similar time to you, slightly later. Um, and actually, you kind of built up quite a big rapport with Rob Holding. Is that right with your yeah. throughout your treatment? Because you kind of did it at the same time. And uh, I, I'm sensing, certainly on the men's side, some slight impatience with those players because they've actually been back a couple of months. But um, I think perhaps there's like a little bit of misunderstanding about what coming back from an ACL actually entails and your get like playing again doesn't mean you're back kind of thing you've been back for about five months now how do you feel um do you feel you're at your level yet or do you feel close to the level you were at when you got injured uh, I'm definitely not at the level that I want to be at uh and it's actually it's really hard to explain how it impacts you as a player. I mean, the amount of times you hear people go, oh, like, I'm a bit rusty. I've been out for three weeks. You know, we were out for 10 months. You mm. know, like, it's it's a major blow to your mindset, um, to your awareness on the pitch, your body, um, you know, just getting back in the swing, swing of things. But I think my main thing that I've um, uh, just needed a bit more of is, is confidence. I think when you, you come back from an injury, even though you're kind of back, actually a few months of that is being right you can play minutes here you can't play minutes here and it's very very hard to stay mentally focused strong and and kind of want to be at your best though at that time so even if you're ready for any challenges to come because you've been through the hard stuff actually mm. still that game time is you know you want to be firing straight away and it, it does just take time it's it's not something that um changes overnight and i think it's just about everyone believing in you I think the more you feel people believing in you then that would bring the best especially out of me so I think I've still got a way to go and I think um, I think for me personally the only way that comes is from consistent game time um, so I think that's that's difficult and I can understand from, from the boys side of thing as well I think when you've got competition we're at great clubs um, mm. 
you know you just want that support and belief from your manager or, or players um, to have in yourself to know that you can it, it is just going to be a little bit of a roller coaster but you can get back to your best and um, I want to make sure I'm back to my best for this club and obviously your game as well relies a lot on athleticism on getting up and down the pitch and things like that and um, I, I spoke to a guy who's a knee surgeon who kind of specialises in ACL operations and the way he explained it to me was it's not the actual ACL, ACL tear that takes time it's he said actually the big problem I guess is that after you have the surgery you're laid up for a few weeks and you're doing nothing and therefore the muscle mass and the athleticism just completely goes from your game is that is was that for you the biggest challenge or was it the mental challenge of of the knee I would say mine was more mental I think uh, me personally fitness uh, is something I I love I think it's a great part in my game and um, I think you get given that 10 months to get yourself to near about to where you used to be. But um, I think the main thing is your mindset. I think the mind of probably protecting your knee, you know, looking after muscles, um, naturally not running as much. Uh, mm. I think that's been the main thing for me. But definitely you go through a very tough time trying to get your fitness back up because, you you know, you go through, um, you know, the operation, mm. uh, very basic movements. I think you're very naive thinking oh it might be 10 months but probably in about a month I'll be jogging or running or moving whereas actually you're still learning to straighten your knee you know Mm. when you think about someone just telling you right straighten your knee push your knee down into the bed you think oh my god like I was speaking to um, Chambers the other day and he was like it's daft that goes through your head but like you really don't think you can like walk again or run yeah, again because yeah, yeah. you you're like how does my knee end up moving the way it used to so it is a very big um a very big operation that just does take time and i think you've all just got to believe in the process and and um, believe in yourself when you get back on the pitch yeah I, I spoke to dan carter i think maybe her second game back um at the end of last season and i asked her probably quite naively about her rehab and she immediately stopped me and said my rehab's not over just because I'm playing again it's not over like I'm still going to go back to the gym and at the time we're getting to the end of the season and she was like my pre-season's going to be totally different to everyone else's um, and on that score you had I think three games just before Christmas where kind of Joe just took you out of the team what what was the conversation um, there um, when, when kind of Joe made that decision was that just was that about your knee basically uh, pretty much. I mean, obviously, I think we were rested in the midweek and then, you know, we had a, a game where I'd previously done my ACL on that pitch and mm. um, we've also got a great squad here, you know, so I think it was a a very sensible thing to do, but also we've got the squad to, to play games here. So, um, yeah, you know, like I said, even leading up to that, you're, you're in, you're out, you're 60 minutes, you're 20 minutes, you're 45 um, and I think the three games a week has been very difficult because, you know, the loading in that is you haven't got a, a normal week training. So mm. you can't be like, right, I'll have a good week training, minutes, good week training. It's kind of like, well, I can't play minutes then. Training's maybe, you know, a little bit less. So there's a lot going on that you have to really think about. But, um, you know, touch wood, uh, when I look at other people who've done their ACL, I've, I've had no niggles or, yes, you know, obviously got a kick against Chelsea of the week, but that comes with football. Mm. But I've not had anything that's um, 
you know affected me along the way I think it's just me getting back to my best performance wise now and a final question we'll move away from the knee now and I promise I'll never <laughs> ask you about that again um, I, I read quite an interesting article on BBC Sport um, today by Emma Sanders and she was talking about um, the increasing mental challenges in women's football now that the coverage is going up and uh, I, I think I've certainly noticed from covering it <clears throat> excuse me, that now all of the games are on um, people disagree with me a lot more which is uh, when I write stuff which, which is terrible how dare they um, <laughs> but uh, Emma was writing about the kind of the increased mental challenge with the increased criticism um, the increased scrutiny because people can watch these games now have you or any of the squad been aware of that at all or, or are you in kind of almost too much of a bubble to, to even realise I do think it does come into it I think um when I did actually get injured you have a lot more to think about and you realise how much psychology plays a part in um, being the best player and how much little things or big things can affect you along the way um, and you are in kind of a football bubble you know you're around the same people a lot you uh, you have to live a certain environment because of the type of sport you play um, and I think now that there is you know better players in the game you know mm. there's more selection there's uh you know, pressure of, you know, we have to talk about it, you know, how much do you earn at certain clubs and, um, you know, your lifestyle after football. So I think there definitely is that coming into the game. I would say um, I would like to hope that every club now has someone that they could talk to mm. away from football uh, that the club have, have got in to, to have a, a voice to. I think that's crucial in, especially the young kids growing up. I think they need to be ready for how different it's going to be to when we were, you know, 10 years ago. So mm. I, I remember when uh, I first got into the England senior squad with Hope Powell and we were talking about, you know, the media then obviously was very um, negative in the women's game and, and that was God knows how many years ago now. Mm. So um, it's very different now and I think we need to still be wary of that and make sure that mentally everyone's in a good headspace. And do Arsenal offer, um, this is one of the things Emma was writing about, like clubs having well-being specialists and, and psychologists, I take it Arsenal offer that kind of thing. Is, is, is that any, like, have you guys spoken about that kind of thing at all? Yeah, I think it, I don't know when they came in a few years ago, but yeah, we obviously, we have psychologists here and uh, I think it's been crucial for a, a lot of the girls to, to speak to, especially me. I, I, I spoke to um one of ours just about you know confidence and, and even uh, you know things outside of football you know you you leave your family your friends your your world to 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 live your dream and you know we're definitely I'm definitely not mourning here I, I've loved every minute of coming here but uh, you do have to realise the impact it has on your your mindset and I think keeping um, yourself in a, a good place is is crucial in a, a very physical sport like this and you've kind of been on the other side of that as well you know particularly with the world cup coverage where you did a lot of work with the bbc did you find that strange at all being on uh, being on kind of i guess that side of the fence and commenting on games that your your teammates and some of your best friends in the world were playing was that odd for you yeah luckily uh, i mean gabby was obviously incredible with the bbc and she never gave me any uh, really <laughs> terrible questions um but I absolutely loved it. It um, it mentally got me through the World Cup, and 
I don't really know what I would have done at home um, feeling very sorry for myself I think actually if I didn't have a goal or, or feel like I was learning something so it, it was a little bit strange um, and, and quite depressing at times but it, it was definitely uh, kept me afloat through my injury uh, Jordan, thank you so much for your time and I speak for every Arsenal fan when I say best of luck on Sunday we'll all be thank rooting you. for you, thank you very much Thank you That was Tim Stillman, who you can follow on Twitter at Stillberto, talking to Arsenal midfielder Jordan Nobbs ahead of this weekend's North London derby against Spurs. So good luck to the Arsenal women in that one. And that, folks, is just about that for this week's show. Thank you as ever for being here. If you'd like something else to listen to and you're not already an Arseblog member on Patreon, James and I recorded another episode of the podcast we call Waffle, in which we talk about anything and everything everything apart from Arsenal. Suggestions and questions and topics from from our Patreon members, there are already four of them uh, on the site. You get instant access to those and all the other podcasts and articles as well. You can sign up for just a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra, a sort of non-football Arsecast Extra. So there might be an element of waffle to that one as well, but uh, hopefully we'll have a few Arsenal bits and pieces to talk about. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend. We'll catch you on the next one. Take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Robot Gazidis. You are the new manager of Arsenal. Let me show you around. This is the main entrance. This is the media room, and beside it is the cell where we imprison those who ask difficult questions. This is the first team dressing room. This is the visitors dressing room. And before I take you down to the pitch, this is the most important part of the tour. This is our tunnel area. Isn't it impressive? Would you like to see more of my tunnel area? Oh. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.